Hello and welcome to the fourth talk from the Tamper Tantrum Live series. This episode is from Paul Stack from Markle. Um, during the course of Paul's talk, uh, he suffers somewhat from some technical difficulties. Uh, these problems were entirely my fault and I apologise to those unreservedly. Um, what follows is not only a very insightful view of how we should all approach innovation, but it's also an amazing demonstration of how we should deal with problems as they arise and do so with a smile on your face. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Stock. So the next person coming up um, can have the high privilege of actually inventing something and inventing something that's had an impact on me. For me, the biggest thing that happened has happened to brewed coffee in my lifetime is this man's responsibility, along with some other people's ideas, but mainly he made it happen. The daddy of the Uber, please, Mr. Paul Stack. From Marco. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you very much. Uh, can, can we have a presentation, Chair? If you wouldn't mind. Just on motorcycles and trying to be cool. It's not a good idea. Okay. Do we have a presentation? It's yeah. But I am also going to start your time. Good. How are you all? Everybody okay? <laughs> Having a good time? You're part of something very special. You should give yourselves a round of applause. <laughs> While I'm waiting for the presentation to start, I'll just tell you a little bit about uh, where we're coming from, what we do. Uh, Marco make hot water delivery systems. And if you go back to the start of this morning, and, or this afternoon, and uh, Colin's thing is, uh, well, what do, we, what, what do you do? What's your story? We try to make the best hot water delivery systems in the world. That's what we try and do. So the name of my presentation is Innovation is Stupid. And it's not, but you know, it's controversial. So people might say, oh, interesting. So innovation is stupid. And uh, so why, why, do I, why do I say this? Before I go into that, I want to bring us all the way back a little bit. And I'm going to do a little bit like most people in the coffee industry do. And I'm going to copy James Hoffman by pointing for when I want the slide to change. Okay? So if I point, can you change the slide? Is that okay? Let's try it. Nice. The colours have gone funny. That should be red. So I'm not quite sure what's going to happen in the next 20 minutes. So let's just see how it goes. So needs. Let me go to what I'm talking about needs. Is that if we want to do anything regarding innovation, we've got to come all the way back because who are we doing it for? We're doing it for us, for the general public. Because we are, as James said, the general public. We're not special or any way. We're just the general public. But we all have the same needs. Every single one of us, we have the same basic needs. It's just the way it is. There's been research going into this for over a century. And let's just go through some of those basic needs we have. Everybody has the same needs. That's what I just said, didn't I? Yeah, everybody has the same needs because we're all the same human being persons. So who you're looking after from a customer point of view, who you're looking after from your employee, your, from your colleague, everybody's got the same thing to do. And this is true of all races, creeds, everything. Even redheads. That's for Steve. So if we move on to what are those needs, and we move on to the first one. And the first one is key. We all want to feel as if we're part of a community. If you can go, we belong. We want, we want to belong. That's the key thing. Everybody wants to belong. Everybody arrived in here this morning, and there's a little bit of nervous tension. Everybody wants to belong. There's a stratosphere looking in over the stream. They want to belong. If you go to the next one. Tribes. 
colours, what we wear, what we do, we want to belong. And go again. Baristas, tattoos, skinny jeans, we want to belong. So from there, where else do we want to go? We want to feel safe. We want to feel secure. We want to make sure that it's okay. And it's important for your customers, it's important for you, it's important for everybody who sits alongside you. And another one which is really crucial, we want to avoid fear. Because fear is scary. Nobody likes to be scared. You might like horror movies, that's fine, but it's safe, scary. It's because you know it's not real, well, allegedly. So here we are, and we all belong, the same basic human needs, and then you add this thing, coffee, which we are all consumed by, this thing we consume, and everybody, all of us, have those same basic needs, even redheads. <laughs> so if we move on, and let's go back a little bit, right? So 1899, this guy, Charles Jewell, says, everything that can be invented has been invented. Everything. 1899. Before we had commercial flights, before we had iPhones, imagine, whew. before we had all these things, everything invented. But he wasn't far wrong. If I update that statement, if we go again, almost everything we can realistically imagine that we need has been invented. That's Seth Godin from, from 2002. Now, go again. Here's this word, needs. So let's look at that again. Almost everything we can realistically imagine that we need, all our needs are already met. So we're moving on past needs. So we're moving to where? Where does needs go next? It goes to wants. And next, somewhere down here, it says desires on this slide. So, so where we're going is we're going from needs to wants to desires. That's what's happening in our, in our, in our communities, in our, in our consumer societies now. Society's really sophisticated. And this is what's happened. We're moving down from needs to wants and to desires. So let's, let's go through a few of those things. Needs. Water. We all need water. If we don't have water, we will die. Okay? So it's simple. It's a need. We can equate needs to being like products. Okay? This says products. Pull this down. <laughs> so this says products. Okay? So needs, products, water. Our wants. Wow, I've got two taps all of a sudden. <laughs> okay. So our wants are like, if you go again, our wants are like services. So it's about evolution of moving from products into services. So you need water to stay alive, you get a tap, you get a service, it's better. Moving on from that, you can now get all sorts of water in all sorts of guises with all sorts of sparkling, hardness, different things within it. You can even go to bars where you can just get different types of water. And that's moving to experiences. So what we need to do from terms of innovation point of view is to move from needs to wants to desires or we've got to move from delivering just a product to delivering a service but we've got to move past that. We've got to deliver an experience because if we don't give an experience to the modern consumer they're just not going to be interested in us because all of their basic needs and in fact most of their wants are probably already met. So how do we do this? How do we do this, this thing of trying to move towards experiences? Well, all of these things are always about, in my view, technology and timing. And it's about managing technology and when that timing of that technology works. This guy, 
Mr. Watson, can you come here, please? The first words said over a telephone, Alexander Graham Bell, in 1876, invented the telephone. He had a little row with someone, and, but he got the patent, and off he went. Sputnik 1, 1957, the first satellite communications device that went up into the air. Two phones in 1983. <laughs> there was one. <laughs> 1983, the mobile phone. So from 1876, over 100 years, and you get technology and timing becomes the mobile phone. The mobile phone in 1983, the first one was just under $4,000. The first one was, just under $4,000. Now, I think we can say it's been successful. Mobile technology, it kind of works. Now they're free. 1770, Richard Salter, the spring scales. Go again. 1821, Michael Faraday, Michael Faraday, Michael Faraday. Michael Faraday, electricity. And in 1920, GE invented the first immersed element for heating water. And in 2009, all those technologies came together to deliver the Uber boiler. But it's not just those things. There's lots of other little things that go into all of this evolution of ideas to meet these things. What you have is this technology and timing, they, there's lots in it. There's lots of stuff going on. You've got miniaturization, you've got electronics, you've got integrated circuits. That's supposed to be keep going up. Underneath that, you've got lots of things like valve technology. Just technology, 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 technology. All different strands of technology. Some guy over here is into valves making the very best valves you can possibly think of. Somebody over there is looking at embedded chips. Come back, please, you've gone too far. So what, what you have is you've got all of these technologies aligning and coming together. And one definition of innovation is basically just taking existing stuff and using it together in a novel way. And it's quite often the classic um, description for innovation. So now if I can move you on to the next one, please. Pass that one. Yeah. So this one. So what's happening now is desires are changing all the time and much, much more rapidly. So we've got a very sophisticated society who is changing from needs to wants to experiences. That's what they want. They want desires, experiences to meet those desires. And they're changing. So how do we do this? How do we stay on top of this? I really think this next slide isn't going to work considering what's happening. Go for it. Try it again. Oh, it's working. So if we can align desires, keep going, come on, with technology. <laughs> if we can align desires with technology, which patently today we cannot do, <laughs> you actually hit it, you nail it. So if you can keep an eye on what the desires are, what your consumer wants, what their experience need is, and align your technology. And this isn't in lumps of products. This could be service. It could be anything. Just align desires and technology, and you can go forward. Where's my timer? I think I'm okay. So this is where I started. Innovation is stupid. Why is innovation stupid, then, if we've got all these things? Because the way we innovate is completely nonsense. The way the whole of modern business innovates or try to manage our business is counterintuitive to being innovative. We've got these things which really, really don't work. Please go. K. P. I. 
So we've got key performance indicators in our businesses. So we stand in our businesses and we say to the accounts people, make sure you don't lose money. It's very important you don't lose money. And we say to the production people, make sure you get efficiencies up and we're going, to, we're going to measure you in those efficiencies. And we say to our engineers, we want you to make smart stuff. And we say to our sales guys, sell more. And we measure them all on individual things, key performance indicators for each individual piece. And then in the middle of all this, the sales guy comes in and he says, I've been talking to the customer and they would like this to have that, that, that and that. And what we say to them is, bells and whistles, go away. Because we're too busy making the Henry Ford Model T in black all the time as efficiently as possible. So we need to break how we manage our businesses to try and innovate properly. So innovation is no longer looking at what we can do to make what we have slightly better. For, for me and for us, it's about opening up to understand what people need and what their desires are and how can we convince ourselves to make these things better. Engineers tend to be brilliant at engineering. They're not necessarily brilliant at understanding the needs. So it's about trying to get those aligned again. There's a funny looking KK. As long as there's not another one, I'll be fine. Go ahead. So what happens is in business is that we stay safe and we stay continuously safe. So all of these departments are in safe mode because people are people. And what people want to do is they want to be safe, if we go back to our core needs that I spoke to at the start. So if people want to be safe, it means they want to meet their KPIs. They don't want to be threatened by those things, which is going to upset them, so that they can remain and continue to belong. Okay? And that's where they stay, in my mind. It's where they stay. So as a result of that, they don't do risk. Nobody does risk in their individual areas. How do we encourage that? I don't know. But that's what we've got to try and do, is encourage people to, to do risks. These are supposed to align. Go ahead. So I just want to step back a little bit and talk about the markets then. Because now what we've done is we've spoken about sort of needs, wants, desires, about moving our, our products forward towards services and experiences. But how is that relevant to the market? You can look at these next few slides as any market. Coffee market obviously is going to be relevant to you guys. But let's go. So the market is, now that's a funny colour, so God knows what will happen next. So, aha, wow, it went red. So this is a market. At the top is the biggest price. It's also the smallest part of the market. At the bottom is the largest part of the market in terms of volume sales and the lowest price. At the, there you have traditional players. The market starts and you get traditional players up at the top of the, mar of the marketplace. Actually, the bottom of the marketplace is still kind of void. It hasn't been fully filled. So you get people who are using substitutes. If we're talking about coffee, they're not drinking coffee. Or just non-users. This particular product or service is not being used. It moves on. And low-cost entrants come in. Because people are sniffing around and they're saying, whoa, there's a market. I'll have some of that. It's only coffee. It's easy, isn't it? Let's make some coffee. So they get into the low-cost entrance and they try and go on price. But some of them get very, very good at it. So what happens is you get this jostle happening down here. And if I could ask you, George, just pop back to the last slide and then up again. Watch this white line. So the, the traditional players who, who live in this safe world with high overheads with a fundamental belief that they own the market and deserve it. They get squeezed. The traditional players' models don't change. They get squeezed. Low-cost entrants come in, and some of them get very good, and they start to own this low-cost space. Some of them get squeezed out, and some of them decide to move up into the upper spaces, and they decide to take on the traditional guys and push up and up and up.
That has gone completely mad. <laughs> That's not supposed to be a Christmas tree. <laughs> what that is, is... Um, can you hold this? So, you've got the market like this, and the market funnels and gets squeezed. So, if you consider the traditional market, which is being throttled. So, the traditional market is like this, and it's being throttled until something pops up the top. So what actually happens is, thank you very much, what actually happens is the luxury market or the speciality market pops up from the traditional market and the traditional players in the middle are left in this neck. Below it is this big fat space where low cost players fight out for a lot of the, of the market for low margin and the very top is where the, the knowledgeable excellent players fight for both strong brand recognition and strong margin. So where does that bring me? So that's the marketplace, and we're talking about how, trying to, how, how we can be suitable in that marketplace. What I would contend with this is definitely not going to work. So what I would contend with this is that what you have is you've got safe and risky. They are supposed to be aligned, remember? And go ahead. Safe equals risky. That's the, that's the key. If you're staying safe in your traditional market space, you're at risk. Because what you're going to do is you're going to live in this market space which is going to squeeze you to death. And you can't stay there. So you've got to change. So if safe equals risky, then risky <laughs> equals risky? <laughs> risky equals safe. Okay. <laughs> so risky equals safe. So just in terms of Marco, if you can hit it, this one was safe. We designed this product, pour and serve coffee machine. It's good, makes coffee, it's fine. Meh. <laughs> it's fine, we sell some, nobody cares. Other people have the same stuff. Meh. Go back to the Uber boiler and there's a big lesson that we've learned. It was risky, if any accountant got their hands on this project, it would have been killed at birth. Not a hope. Still should be, they would say. <laughs> but I say yay. And I say yay because it does a number of things. It moves your whole organization in a mindset shift. Because you've done something different and you feel good and you have fun and you move forward. And that's what I, what I would encourage anybody in terms of innovation is have some yay. Have some fun. Move things a little bit forward. If it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Just don't put too much money into it if you can avoid, if you can avoid it. Have some skunk works. Have some playtime. We call it the Uber project. So, therefore, if we go backwards to try something different, new and risky, I'm doing okay, try something different, new and risky, that's what we need to do. We need to try and be different, and we need to try and do something new, and we need to take risks. But, of course, this is a problem with this. If we go back to where we started, if you do something different, you're no longer belong. What's he doing? What are they doing? They don't belong. If you do something new, it threatens your safety. So you're no longer feeling secure. And if you do something risky, it absolutely threatens all possibilities of success and therefore it's scary. So what we're doing is we're absolutely going after our core needs and we're challenging them. So therefore I say be brave. Peter Drucker, his name got hidden up there, should be there. He wrote this thing, which is basically efficiency is doing things right, KPIs, and effectiveness is doing the right things. Now, the thing about being brave is you've got to be brave to be able to listen, to be able to understand what the right things are. A lot of people aren't good at listening because they don't want to go outside of their comfort zone, their safe zone. This is my view. So therefore, this is a little bit hard to read, actually, in those colors. But what we're saying, what I'm saying in terms of being brave, 
is to try and be spontaneous, accept facts. Accept facts is a great one, I think. People come in from outside of the four walls of the cosy, of the cosy business that we all work in, and they come in and say, do you know what really is going to be the next big thing? Sure. Accept it. Listen. It's actually probably true. Because things that are happening, particularly the speciality end of coffee industry, are people who are passionate and knowledgeable about trying to push things forward. And if we listen to those things, they probably will become the norm. So accept the facts. Problem solving, try and go after it, and creativity. Try and be creative in those things. These things will give you progress. So if we move on, this is an in, this gives, can you go again? So what you have is, we've got these things, right? Which is the avoidance of fear, the basic needs. Go ahead. Safety, about being safe and belonging. And what these are is actually, they move themselves up from the bottom to the top of this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is from 1943. Go ahead. And what these basic core needs do is they basically allow us to gain respect, have respect, and go to the next one, and actually progress. So if we want to be spontaneous and be creative and try and match those desires to experiences through aligned technologies, we have to progress. But these things are linear. And basic needs are linear. There's my time. Sorry, Steve. Basic, time, basic needs are linear. So if we don't avoid fear, if we don't feel safe, if we don't belong and have a sense of belonging in what we do, we cannot get respect and we cannot progress. They are absolutely linear. And that's true of everybody. Next. Even redheads. Thank you. Oh, no, hang on. Two gingers on one stage. What? Two gingers on one stage. Two gingers, yes. I didn't think we were allowed to meet. Um, thank you very much, Paul. A very interesting and informative talk. And if you ever want to do anything that's really risky and outside of your comfort zone, then organise something like this, as Colin has, because it's absolute, uh, it does take you out of your comfort zone. Have we got some questions for Paul? Um, Paul, how afraid were you when you started the, your project? Uh, I, I actually wasn't afraid. I was enormously in, excited by it. Um, and a number of events, a number of events paralleled to allow it to happen, I suppose. Uh, number one, I, I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I can break the rules in, in my own business. Uh, but number two, we, our R&D manager had moved to being our service manager and there was a void. So I was in charge of R&D. And... Um, Myself and James and Annette and Stephen met to try and get this thing potentially played with. And I basically broke the rules. I went into the R&D guys and I took Peter and I said, I know we can do this. It's not that far from our own core technology. I'd like you to play. And that's what he did. So he played with that and he's the one who found the technology to make it happen. And then I did the aesthetic design and I got him to make it turn from a drawing into steel. And it was just about... I suppose it goes back to being brave, not being afraid to have something which might only be one. So what we did was we designed it and made it with the idea of being one machine for square mile coffee roaster. It was supposed to be, that was it, it was supposed to be. Myself and James had a bet on uh, when we did do it. And actually, just go backwards, is uh, when I showed it first in KTEX, and um, James came over and had a look at it, and said, what's it called? And I said, it's called the square mile boiler. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to blog about this, and I think people will be interested. What will I call it? And I said, uh, I don't know. And he had written down on his pad, the Marco Uber Boiler. I said, okay. 
And from that it went. So it was just about, you know, it's a boiler. It's one off. And, but it was an interesting thing. And I thought we'd learn something. And that's why we did it. And off it went. And the bet was we might sell 10 in a year. That's what I, that's what I said. He said 40. He won. <laughs> Uh, any other questions? Yeah. I'm interested to find out how long did it take from the idea to make it happen? Like when you have a good idea and you feel that it's the right idea, how long does it take to turn it into an actual product? I was just going to break that into two different things in that we, uh, we spoke initially in, I've got to, I've got to get my, my dates right, I think it was May 2008 or thereabouts and it was KTEX 2009 which meant it was from no, it was May we spoke with the initial idea where the frustration, and I think it's an important, going all the way back to, to the presentations this morning, people talk, the presenters up here spoke about customers being frustrated and angry about something, which is effectively them, exp them expressing a desire. And uh, so there was frustration about not having this, this experience being available, if you like, in terms of having, having temperature-controlled water. And uh, we had a product which wasn't too far away, so we weren't starting from nothing. So that's the first thing. So in August, I went over to the guys and we wrote down a specification. And in February the following year, we showed the first iteration. But it was stuck together with sellotape and chewing gum. It just was a proof of concept machine. It worked. And that was in February 2009. Um, a month later, we made something which was usable in the roastery and we installed it. And then it was host that year uh, when we actually had a product which was... Uh, released for sale. So in, from the initial germ was May 08, the, initial, the, the, the release was October 09. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, great innovations often come from looking at what people want but they don't realise they want it and then go on and making technology do that. Do you think sometimes we get caught up trying to get technology that addresses what we want but not necessarily what somebody else wants? Or do you think we should just do it anyway on the risk that accidentally we'll find something that they want? Hmm. Um, I think a lot of stuff exists because technology can, in a good and a bad way. I think that, for example, the published SCAA, SCAE, NCA grind profile for filter coffee is complete nonsense. It's because when someone did the research, that's what the grinder could deliver. So what they did was they took what the best grinder available, in my mind, I don't know what they did, but I believe they took what they could do, what technology could do, and said, this is it. This is the best filter grind profile for filter coffee. I think it's nonsense. Because it was going from a technology viewpoint as opposed to a need viewpoint. And if you bring it back to a need viewpoint, the need is in filter coffee is to get as clean, and, as clean a cup as possible to represent that coffee, as opposed to a grind profile as close to that need as possible. So again, it goes back to desires and technology, I think, aligning, which they didn't. Paul, we've, um, we've got a question on the, the live stream as well, which oh. uh, we've got... Is it my mommy? 54 people on. <laughs> And the question is, uh, how does Skunk Works on the Uber boiler affect the rest of the company? Has it led to more risk-taking within the company? Absolutely, it has. And it's not just risk-taking. Well, there's two, I have two answers to that. Uh, first of all, absolutely. It's a mindset which has, I was going to say, invaded. Invaded is the wrong word. It has 
in some way got under the skin of the company. So there's a mindset, certainly, of the Uber project. But I've, I've had to work very hard of getting the idea of the Uber project as part of that mindset. Um, but it has. It's, it's positively impacted the idea of, of playtime. However, if I go back and, and, critici and criticise my own presentation, what I've had to do is I've had to put a KPI on innovation. So what I've had to do is I've had to uh, go to the R&D guys and they've got, we break R&D down to three things. Uh, we break it down to strategic R&D, break it down to customization R&D, which is basically deployment of existing technology, and then this sliver of Uber project at the end. And what happens in real life is strategic stuff is trying to move forward, but actually gets cannibalized by the customization, because the customization is more likely to be revenue quicker. And then this sliver of Uber project often gets nudged out, so people don't innovate. So with Uber project, what we actually have is key deliverables from the R&D team to deliver two Uber project deliverables a year. So they have to deliver two things which may be bloody stupid, but they explore. That's how it worked. Well, I think um, on the stream, question is a good place to finish it. Um, Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, excellent as always. Round of applause for Paul Stack. <laughs>